Welcome to ICANN, a podcast about ophthalmology through a uniquely Canadian lens with Dr. Cedare Ziai and myself, Dr. Guillermo Rocha. We'll share our experiences as ophthalmologists today and tackle some challenges we face as healthcare providers. Are you ready, Cedare? Let's do it, Guillermo. Dr. Ike Ahmed has become world-renowned for his skills and groundbreaking work in the diagnosis and surgical treatment of glaucoma and anterior segment reconstruction. He is recognized worldwide as being one of the most experienced complex eye surgeons in the world and has trained numerous surgeons in innovative surgical techniques. This includes developing and coining the term microinvasive glaucoma surgery. This is a new genre of surgical approaches and it all came from our very own Dr. Ike Ahmed. It's such a pleasure to have you with us today, Ike. I'm so excited about this. Thank you so much, Adderi. Really excited to be uh, with you here. I wish we could be in person, but it's great to hear your voice too. Yeah, thanks. Me too. What an exciting time to be practicing medicine. I mean, pandemic aside, <laughs> isn't there so much going on right now in terms of innovation? It's very, very exciting. It's never been busier. I'm kind of surprised. I think we just have maybe more time and more focused on some of the things that we're doing. And, uh, you know, it's accelerated. So uh, much of the pandemic has been difficult for all of us. I think it's given a bit of focus uh, to kind of, you know, work on some of the areas we've been kind of perhaps uh, putting a bit on the side, but now are in the forefront. You're one of the people who works probably the most with some of the new innovations coming into our country. What do you think in the next few years? What do you see, especially within MIGS, um, anything in the pipeline that you want to share with us that, that we'll, we should be looking forward to? You know, it's incredible that MIGS have been around for over 12 plus years, you know, and I think we still feel we're kind of in the middle of understanding the role of MIGS, but also how do we properly provide access to our patients, including Canada. But I will say that surgically, we've uh, really uh, continued to advance more. I think we're going to see more with the marriage of diagnostic imaging and surgical procedures, very much like the cardiovascular and the cardiology folks do when it comes to coronary artery stenting. Uh, understanding the imaging of the outflow system. And I think that the ability now also to provide drug delivery uh, in combination with outflow procedures and then tying it together with IOP censoring, I think that's kind of the ultimate holy grail when it comes to uh, interventional glaucoma and managing IOP. Of course, we are super excited about what's happening on the neuro side. And there's no doubt, you know, within the next few years, we're going to see things developing there. The one area that I've really seen uh, continue to expand, which we are all very excited about, of course, is gene therapy and the ability to manipulate and provide genetic therapy to change uh, and innervate receptors to, you know, provide stem cell work to regenerate tissue. Um, I mean, I, I think the eye is already, and you, you see what's happening in retina, but you're going to see it happening in glaucoma, both in terms of outflow and optic nerve. So these are just some of the areas that uh, are, are innovating in glaucoma. And of course, I mean, the eye is such a right place for innovation. So Ike, um, <clears throat> right from the get-go, uh, right from the get-go, from the beginning of the pandemic, you were one of the people who really pivoted, really adapted and modified and became leaders in um, in promoting educational events, but also safety events, safety instruction for ophthalmologists, for optometrists, and uh, and really were able to sort of take advantage of some of the 
potential benefits of being in a challenging situation. How have you seen um, your life, both personally and professionally, uh, change during the past uh, year? I mean, you were on the road all the time. And uh, yet, now that you're sort of doing all these webinars, I can tell you, being in many of the ones you've organized, I've learned so much because I, it's almost like many of us have had a lot more access to you and to your, to your concept. So how have things changed for you personally and professionally this past? Well, I'll say it's mutual, Guillermo. You, you've been part of this from the beginning, brother, and I appreciate all your involvement in education. It's been, it's been an incredible journey. You know, I mean, I, you know, my life has always been chaotic, right? I kind of thrive on chaos and so, and uncertainty. And so, I would never want a pandemic on anybody, but when the pandemic hit, uh, for me, it was really not much of a gear shift. I mean, I just kind of moved into, you know, uh, dealing with uh, tactical issues as they came upon us. And I, and I thought, you know, the first few areas, of course, would be patient care and understanding how to best provide patient care during a pandemic. And so we accelerated our work on the virtual care platforms we're working on and everything from online visual field testing to, you know, virtual assessments to, you know, drive-by IOP assessments to rapid, uh, you know, assessments and other care, uh, something we set up very quickly. And, and I think that's, you know, continue to improve. And I think continue to not only deal with patient safety, but more patient convenience. So, you know, that, that really was, um, you know, a way to kind of bring things forward rapidly rapidly on the virtual side, which for me, I've always been really interested in, you know, I've, I, I've always been, you know, encouraging patients to measure pressure at home, for example, and we had the, we now had a necessity to do that. Educationally, I mean, I, I love teaching and, you know, just like you were on the road a lot. I, I missed 30 meetings. I missed, I missed 30, 30 trips, you know, Saturday. Can you believe wow. it? 30 trips. Wow. <laughs> I missed from March to basically till, till January. So, I mean, I didn't realize I was traveling that much, but, but then turning it into something where we can reach the world and the world had the attention to focus, for example, online with our, our webinars was an incredible way to reach people like never before. And I have just made the greatest relationships with friends and colleagues now and connected more than I ever have. And I think that'll something we'll always have in that connection. And so, you know, it's just uplifting to be able to learn from each other and be, and really kind of help to grow with each other. I mean, I, I, I leaned on people like you, Guillermo, to, you know, help me along here to teach and learn together. And then, you know, of course, I mean, and everything else that we're doing uh, in life, yeah, I mean, this meant a lot more time at home to focus on things at home and do things with the family that, you know, never could never could before, uh, with the kids and and uh, and the family and things. So that that was really a blessing in disguise as well, and continues to be that way. And I think it'll it'll change the way I look at personally how to balance things out. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, you know what? Um, not that we ever want wanted a pandemic, but it does it has made us you know reconsider what our priorities are and also how to best use our time. There's no doubt that I. I will change and I have changed and you'll see this in the next year. You tell me if I haven't and what I'm doing professionally and personally, because it's just left a mark in so many ways. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think, you know, in a way, I think all your work with uh, MIGS in preparation, who would have said, or who would have thought that all of a sudden it makes more sense to bring in a patient, do a procedure that perhaps doesn't require as much follow-up as perhaps some of the other filtering procedures, more involvement, perhaps medications and stuff that need more monitoring. All of a sudden, you can go in and out with something that's well-tested and give a good result with minimal visits to the patient. You're absolutely right. It's the same reason, I mean, that we would think even not in a pandemic setting for patient convenience, for patient tolerance, adherence, but the pandemic just put a spotlight on this. And just like with virtual assessment and efficiency of seeing patients in the office and 
letting patients wait around for hours and things. I mean, the ability to treat glaucoma, a, a terribly blind disease that, you know, has, has severe issues with adherence and follow-up, uh, for all those reasons that we kind of worked and developed MIGS, address things that during this time. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, it really became very obvious some of the benefits and, and I think, and, and this is, and this is exactly what we ended up doing. We ended up doing the procedures to reduce some of the impact of, of having to do the follow-ups and the con contact issues and things like that. In reality, that's actually great during a non-pandemic setting as well. Exactly. I think one of the things I hear about the most, uh, Ike, as you know, I practice in Ottawa with regards to MIGS is I, I feel like there's always this background noise about um, not necessarily reimbursement, but more funding, I guess, from the government for these procedures. Is this an issue across the country? And do you see, um, do you see any solutions to this long term? Because certainly there is now growing evidence for MIGS uh, in the patient population. Is, are we just in that phase where we're trying to convince the government that this is the right way to go? Where are we sitting at with, with this issue? You know, accessing Canada, a developed country like Canada with MIGS is, is a serious issue for our patients and for ourselves. I mean, let's just stay it out there. And this isn't because of lack of evidence necessarily. This isn't because of lack of data. This is because of lack of money and funding and priority. And sure, we can always find a reason not to fund something because of lack of data. In fact, there was a recent paper in, in ophthalmology just showing that, listen, if we, want to, if we want to raise the bar on evidence and have 10-year data on how to prevent blindness and glaucoma and quality of life, we're never going to have anything to support drops even or surgery. Uh, we know that lowering a pressure helps to reduce the risk of glaucoma progression and blindness. We know that most patients need to have multiple treatment modalities throughout their lifetime. And we now know the evidence has shown that MIGS lowers pressure and lowers medication use and lowers the need to go on to further major surgery. This is all now five-year evidence that recently I presented and I'm publishing now. And that kind of data is very compelling uh, the problem comes upon us when we just don't have budgets to support this in a very, this is a very revolutionary disruptive technology. And although we spend lots of money on drops and, and lots of money on medications and lack of compliance, this has been just the mainstay of, of treatment. And so it's hard to change. It's just hard to change the way we think and it's hard to change the way the payers think. And I think, you know, uh, patients, I think, are starting to understand. I think patient advocacy is very important. And we've got to continue to fight this fight, uh, you know, to really ensure people understand and and we appreciate the value of these things. And we'll continue to work on data. Believe me, I'm, I am I have a minor degree almost in health economics now to have to understand and speak the language of payers. And we'll do that. But I think that uh, we have to come to the point now where the evidence has just grown so large on MIGS, it's hard to ignore. And uh, we'll continue to push and we have to advocate for our patients. We're the best posi positions to do that as physicians. And I think those are very good points, Ike. Uh, Sarah, you and I deal a lot with, with some of the inconsistencies, even in cornea. You know, in some provinces like mine, uh, cross-linking is not covered, yet the government will be happy to cover a corneal transplant with all the visits and the hospital and everything. So I agree, um, this, this has to change. And uh, Ike, in another area that you that you do is not only innovations in terms of MIGS, but you're also so involved with different lens technologies and understanding the optics. And, and what I've come to learn as well from you over the years is not only that aspect, but, but sort of how to talk to 
to patients and sort of how to identify which patients will benefit from a particular technology. What, what can you tell our listeners about some of the newer technologies, the concepts behind them, and who would be benefiting from them more in terms of the patient population? Yeah, well, like both of you, I mean, we're, we're really excited and have had experience with uh, different lens technology platforms. And I think it's, again, it's a great time to be an ophthalmologist and it's a great time to be a patient, potentially benefit from these technologies. And I think this is all moving toward, you know, supervision to enhancing vision beyond what it was even before the patient's cataract, whether it's refractive or whether that's related to, you know, resolution or low contrast settings. This is what the kind of optics that uh, we're seeing coming out of uh, industry. We're also seeing, of course, the ability to address a major unmet need of presbyopia, which of course, you know, turns all our patients into presbyopics after having their cataract removed or lens removed. And I think technologies that now reduce some of the compromise that we've seen with multifocal lenses or at least reducing them and also addressing, you know, again, further range of vision is where a lot of these extended range of vision lenses have come around, which I think add just one more piece to our armamentarium. So I think as a new category uh, of a true, you know, non uh, or a a true safe uh, extended vision lens, you know, now is upon us. You know, that being said, we are still challenged with balancing out the delivery of uh, insured and uninsured services. It, you know, we have fiduciary duties as physicians to understand the vulnerabilities of patients with their eye care and also ensure proper disclosure and communication and the right ethics around. And I think that all of us struggle sometimes in terms of how to properly do this in a way that's, you know, communicating properly, but not overdoing it. And that's kind of, that means really customized approaches for our patients and more than ever uh, patient communication tools and, and our own selves need to continue to try to provide that. I, I think it can be done. I think it's, you know, as much as technology has improved, uh, you know, the basics of just physician-patient relationship and discussion and, you know, developing the trust and the journey is so important. And it's also so much more rewarding when you see this outcome after you spend time with a patient. And so I think I worry sometimes that the time that we spend with our patients gets missed because we focus on the technology and we just zero in on that when in reality we're treating people and not eyes. The technologies allow us to make perhaps more wholesome lives for our patients who are people. And that's the beautiful thing ophthalmologists can do and no one else can do it like we can do it. And vision is the most sacred sense of our human body. But we have to remember that we are physicians first and foremost. And I think that is where the the beauty of being a physician, being able to access the greatest technologies in the world, which include diagnostics, by the way, of course, as well, but also with the right optical platform uh, that can change people's lives, literally, um, which is an incredible thing to do all together, as well as restoring vision. So um, it's only starting now. We're going to continue seeing this, and we're seeing the continual uh, blurring of the lines, so to speak, with refraction, refractive surgery and cataract surgery, which is good and bad as well. Again, it does it does come up. It does come with more questions, but it just shows you that I see again, you know, the lens as a platform for treating cataract, treating presbyopia, treating astigmatism, treating glaucoma, and treating low vision as just some of the examples uh, are where the future is. So it's a great space to be. That's a great answer, Ike. And it really shines a spotlight on this conversation we have with our patients when we're sitting face-to-face with our patient, every pre-op patient, well, every patient really, but in this situation, every pre-op patient and the importance of you know relaying that information as physicians to the layperson and doing it as well as we possibly can. 
um, I love that you've that you've sort of brought that up. And sometimes we forget that in the haste of our busy clinics and funding issues and reimbursement and and the healthcare team surrounding us and trying to delegate more and more to people around us. But really, the most important thing is that one on one conversation in our clinic. You know, you know, Sally, you know what I you know what I say and what I feel when I see someone in front of me, a patient or even a stranger befriending them and uh, is the most natural way to communicate. And so just as you're talking to a friend, you're going to invest your time with that friend. They're going to develop a trust with you. And of course, we're not like, I'm not being overly friendly, but developing that kind of relationship with a patient, it doesn't take like a long time, but just having a friendship discussion, you'll find the right answer because you know what? You have invested in that and that's what friends do. They help each other, right? So I, I found that kind of mantra really helps me. And it's a wonderful thing to be able to help someone through uh, their decision-making. Yeah, we are we are very lucky to be to be put in that situation multiple times a day. I'm going to ask you a very unconventional question, Ike. I want to know what is your favorite surgery to do. I don't think we've ever asked anyone this, but you know, if you asked me that, I could answer very easily. And I, we talk about it often with my fellows. But you could give me Dalks, Dmex, and a, a pterygium. Pterygium surgeries all day long, and I will be very happy. That's all I need in life. <laughs> I want you to answer that question from Dr. Ike Ahmed's point of view. You know, for me, I mean, I, I thrive on complexity, and I'm, I'm an adrenaline junkie. So I like the most complex uh, scenarios. And I think some of the most complex scenarios, which tap into not only our need to provide visual restoration, but also functional restoration and improvement, but on top of that, aesthetic and cosmetic is the repair of the human iris, which is truly, in my opinion, I'm biased, the most beautiful structure of our human, human body. To look at everyone's in the eye, look at their beautiful iris architecture, the color of their eye, the contours, the crypts, you know, the discoloration in some, in some areas of the eye, uh, and the uniqueness, the fingerprint uh, entering our soul through which light passes through. I mean, that is such a sacred thing. And to have it you know, potentially damaged for a patient and the impact on the patient's self-esteem. Uh, patients don't worry about their vision when they have an iris trauma or pupil damage. They worry about how the world sees them, not how they see the world. And to be able to have that ability to try to, re, you know, rehabilitate that patient, not only their visual, not only their functional, not only their, um, you know, cosmetic appearance, but their holistic way they look at life and how people, how they reflect on people look at them is an incredible burden, but also an incredible opportunity. And the technical skill required to this of, this, of the maneuvers, the individual maneuvers requiring the ultimate in dexterity and the physics of instrumentation and passing sutures and passing implants through, but also having the artistic eye to reconstruct that pupil in the most perfect round centered way and bringing tissue together to approximate, to look as normal as is possible. I mean, it's it's truly the, the the combination of an orchestra if you're at a concert, to a artistic piece at a famous museum, to uh, you know a model uh, you know car builder building a specific very fine tuned car, all together in one, and that is an incredible responsibility, but an incredible privilege and an incredible rush, and uh, I absolutely love this, and I just appreciate what God has given us in the human eye and the iris. And I every day appreciate the ability that God gives me in, in through my hands and my, uh, my eyes and my mind to be able to help those, help those people. 
And it is exciting to to see you so excited. <clears throat> like we certainly have enjoyed a lot of the videos and teachings on that. I can wants to know what you think. Please send your comments on today's episode or any suggestions you may have for topics or features to communications at cos sco.ca and we'll try to incorporate them into future episodes. Hi, I'm Dr. Claire Chan. I'm an assistant professor of ophthalmology at the University of Toronto and I listen to the ICANN podcast. I'd like to go totally the other way. I think this year has given us a little bit of a glimpse into a different aspect of Ike Ahmed. We've seen your study, your bookshelves. We've seen your occasional uh, sort of participation of your daughter uh, coming into some of the Zoom calls as well as uh, your cats. So what, what do you do? What do you do in your free time? Ike? Do you have free time? Uh, it's a good question. I, 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 I don't like to have free time because I think free time is wasted time. I hate to say that. So I think any time I have that maybe I'm not booked for an appointment, I like to be able to spend it doing something. And it's often it's with my loved ones, of course, uh, in that in that time, even if it's being present in the in, in the room together and doing something. Um, and so I'm always busy running around and doing something. Or there's a friend to call, uh, you know, or there's something to finish or something to read. Um, you know, I spent a lot of time in the last, uh, you know, you know, year connecting with people that I haven't connected with a long time, you know? And so, yeah, I guess, I guess in my, in my life, there's not much, there's not much sense of a, a free time. I don't really watch TV. I don't really sit around a lot. Um, but I end up trying to try and do things after the, after this podcast, I'm going to go and, and hang out with Sophie and, and, uh, and help her with some homework and do some things, play some, play some games with my family. Um, you know, probably to finish a couple of little things preparing for the OR tomorrow. Um, you know, maybe uh, watch uh, the news a little bit. I do. I do check the news here and there, and and catch up with Ruby. And you know what? I mean, it's going to be uh, you know, and then hit the bed, right? So, so yeah, not a lot of free time. I, I don't mind not having free time though. I, I mean, I, I that's what sleep is for. Sleep's my free time. <laughs> Great. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Ike, it was such a pleasure to have you on the show. I wish we could go on for another hour, um, but unfortunately we can't. We can't keep you that long. We got to give you a little bit of free time tonight. We got to get you to your family. Um, it was really nice to have you on the show. I want to thank you for all the teaching that you have done over the course of the year, all the webinars and um, all of your teaching, even on on Twitter and and uh, Instagram. And it's always a pleasure to to read your posts and and I, I, I really appreciate you um, being a guest on our podcast. Well, thank you. Uh, you, you two are really embody the great spirit of of, uh, of humanity. Uh, I mean that of family values, and of innovation and knowledge and care and teaching. I mean, both of you are. are, are I just uh, you know feel wonderful collegiality with, and we we all go back a bit. I remember the days. Uh, Sadie, when you were in training, and and Gary, I remember when 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 I started, and how you were a great inspiration and mentor for me. We're not we're not that far apart, but you know, I'll give you the senior uh, seniority link on that one. And so, both of you, um, you know, it's been great to, great to hang with you here. And I, this just reminds me of the times we used to, when we hang together, and 
in-person, you know, chats and, and casual conversations, which uh, just are always inspiring. So thanks for, thanks for having me. I, I enjoyed co- our conversation here. This was great having you as well. Like um, it's, it's always been a pleasure to talk to you and, and sort of pick your brain on different techniques and ideas. And it's certainly exciting to see where we're going in terms of ophthalmology. I'm also happy to say that I discovered one of your playlists on uh, social media as well and uh, on Spotify. So <laughs> uh, maybe I'll become a, a surgeon like you uh, as well by listening to your music. <laughs> well, I think it's PG, so that's a good thing. <laughs> oh, good. Thank you to our guest, Dr. Ike Ahmed, for joining us today, and we look forward to bringing you more episodes on the ICANN podcast. Here's what's coming up on our next episode. I am Julie Petrera. I am the national national lead of financial planning insights at MD Financial. Jean-François Bordelot, Senior Practice Manager Investments at MD Financial Management. From an investment market perspective, I mean, the COVID-19 pandemic created a, well, I call a very unique market environment. I mean, a year ago, we had one of the fastest decline in market history. And this was followed by one of the strongest and fastest recovery in history. ICANN wants to know what you think. Please send your comments on today's episode or any suggestions you may have for topics or features to communications at cos-sco.ca and we'll try to incorporate them into future episodes. The ICANN podcast is funded by MDF Affinity Grant. It is brought to you by the Canadian Ophthalmological Society, directed by Eric Johnson and produced by John Allaire from Allaire Strategic Works.